You know, we love children and we love family, don't you? It's, it's what makes a church because we are a family and the picture of a home family is an offshoot of who we are as a church family and children of God as we think about what that means. And I'm going to take a little break from Daniel, obviously, because this is Sanctity of Human Life and I need to share a message on life. And today I thought about doing one on parenting Now, if you're not a parent this morning or you don't have kids, this still applies to you. If your kids are grown out of your home, this still applies to you. We hope everybody here this morning leaves changed. But as I thought about what to preach on and what to use this morning, I thought about going to the Old Testament and finding a story. And so in my mind, I was kind of running through, you know, well, I could use Adam and Eve because God told them to be fruitful. But, you know, Adam kind of blew it. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I could use Noah. Because, you know, Noah was a man of faith, but, you know, he did get gassed in front of his children and kind of showed himself. A little pun there, if you've ever read Genesis. And then I thought about Abraham, you know, the great man of faith. But, you know, Abraham kind of blew it, too. Uh, As he was waiting on God, he kind of went out and got another wife and, you know, then had Ishmael. So maybe he's not the best illustration we should use and... So then I started going on and was going to use Enoch, you know, but couldn't find him for an interview. He was taken, and there's only one verse that mentions him. He walked with God, and he was gone. So don't know anything about his family. And then I thought about using David, you know, the man after God's own heart. But then when you start thinking about David, he kind of blew it too. And, you know, his life was kind of a tragedy. He had his own children who ended up fighting against him and trying to kill him. One took his throne and stole his wives, and you want me to go on? So the, the point was, unless I took a negative and went to positive, there really isn't an ideal parent in Scripture to point to. Perhaps Job, perhaps Job could be one. Brian's already preached on Job, so I didn't feel like I needed to go back there. But, you know, Job praying for his children and so forth. But nevertheless, what you discover in God's Word and this is very relieving as a parent, by the way, is there is no such thing as a perfect parent. And there is no such thing as a perfect home. So all of ye this morning who look around at others and think, oh, oh, look at them, let us bow before... Let me assure you something this morning. They are sinners. They make mistakes. They do things they shouldn't. They are wrong. And they are not perfect. Now... When you understand that about humanity and family, what it does for those of us who are not perfect is it allows us to take a big deep breath and go, thank you, Lord, there is hope. Because I'm going to mess up in life, I'm going to mess up as a parent, and I have to learn from that, and I have to move on. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is about being an intentional parent. Now, intentional doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean one who doesn't make a mistake. It means one who does something on purpose for a purpose. We become parents on purpose for a purpose. And when we think about that concept, on purpose for purpose, it tears down some barriers of some false beliefs. And that is, you know, a lot of people, and I want you all to hear me here because we hear this in marital counseling. We try to address this in premarital counseling. You know, children do not bring fulfillment to a marriage. If you get married and you think that having a child is going to fulfill your marriage, I've got news for you. 
it's going to shatter it. Because what you discover the moment you have that first child is the only person your child thinks about for the first several years of their life is themselves. They will cry when they want to. They will mess in their pants when they want to. And they will do what they want to. And there's not much you can do about it. You know why? Because that's the way they're created. And they're created that way to teach us a lesson. But back to the point, having a child does not fulfill a marriage. You know, God actually told Adam and Eve when they were married that they were to become one. And now that implies more than just physicality. That implies unity and oneness. So God so made the marriage relationship so that a husband and a wife could be complete even without having children. Did you know that? However, there is a desire, and when people desire to be parents, you should become a parent intentionally. Intentionally. Now, what does that look like this morning? And we're going to think about that as we read this passage of Scripture. God is an intentional parent, and He has blessed us as His children. Did you know that? Listen to what 1 John says about our relationship with our Father. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, Christians, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. You ever wonder why you have problems in this life? You ever wonder why you can't openly say things that you used to maybe be able to say? Or do things you used to be able to do without some intense persecution? Well, let me tell you why. Because the world is opposite of God. And when we as God's children walk with God and we walk with our Father, guess what? We immediately have conflict and opposition. The reason why the world does not know us is because it didn't know Him. John goes on to write, Beloved, we are God's children right now. You're talking about assurance security, knowing that you are in a relationship with Almighty God the Father through the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you, you can have full assurance that you belong to Him. We are God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Let me ask you a question. You flawed? You weak? You mess up? You fail in life? Let me, let me give you some hope this morning. You are not yet what God has you planned to be. You are not yet what God intends you to be. We are not yet with Him or as He wants us to be because He hasn't appeared yet. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Let me encourage you this morning to, to rest in that. That is the believer's hope. That even though we are not now what we want to be or desire to be, that one day when our Savior appears, we shall be like Him and see Him as He is. Look at that. That is so wonderful. Just let that flood over you this morning because that is God's Word. John says... Everybody who has this hope, you know, that we're going to be like Him when He appears, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. We, we desire that because that is fact 
that is truth, that is reality. So as we become intentional parents and we strive to be intentional, God is intentional. What is our Father's goal in our life? It is to make us like Jesus. God has an intentional goal in becoming our Father and parenting us through the salvation offered through Christ. And what is that goal? To make us like His Son. Are you all hearing me? You with me this morning? To make us like His Son. That looks different in every child's life. In some of God's children, He may have to use suffering to make them like His Son. In some of God's children, He may have to use blessing and encouragement to make them like His Son. And every child and every family is different. They have different personalities. They have different likes. They have different characteristics. They have different plans in their life. And I want you to know something. In God's family, the same is true. This is an important concept in Christianity. Stop looking at other believers and asking God why your life can't be like theirs. The reason is because your father knows exactly what he's doing. You may not understand it. You may not have a clue, but Almighty God, He knows. And as we sang this morning, He is a good, good Father. Now, intentional parenting means on purpose for purpose. And every parent struggles with parenting. I read Psalm 127 this morning, so I won't read that again. But the point is that children are a gift They are a gift from the Lord. So what we have to do as Christian parents is recognize that they are not ours. Did you know that? By the way, someone shared something with us that changed our life. And this is what they said. Every day of your child's life, every day that they grow, they will grow further and further from their mother and father and closer and closer to someone else's heart. Every day of their life. By the way, that happens in marriage. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, wait until your child's 17 or 18. And they desire someone to date. And they begin to love them and uh, and have affections for them and care for them. Their heart begins to pull in that direction. That doesn't mean they don't love you. But it does mean that in their heart, God has made them in such a way that they have a craving for someone else. And there comes a time in their life when they are to leave Uh, mother and father, and cleave unto their wife. And so when you understand that as a parent, your children are going to grow away from you. And it helps us later on in life to realize why our kids are being further and further away. No longer do we have to change their diaper. We give them guidance, direction, and hopefully up to that point we've poured things into their life, which is what we want to talk about this morning. So there are five things that every parent should desire to have in their child's life. And I hate that all five of these pop up. My animation's messed up this morning. But if you leave without blanks filled in today because you took a nap during one of the points, you can get them all at the very get-go, okay, and just fill them all in and, and then put it on autopilot. I hope you don't. But anyway, there are several things that we as parents hope to instill in our children And I would like to play games with you and have you give me some thoughts on what you would do. But here are five C's that I've collected from other people. This is not my stuff, okay? I'm not this guy that came up with all this. But these are very good points, and I think they are very down-to-earth. Five things that every parent 
should desire to, end, to give to their children. And let me say this, that every Christian should have in their life. Here they are. Number one, we should strive to instill confidence in our child. What does that mean? That means helping our child know who they are because of whose they are. They know who they are. They have confidence. And we as parents introduce our children uh, to the Lord early in life. God talks about this in the Psalms. One generation is to tell the other generation about the goodness of God. And as parents, our responsibility in our home is to help our children know who God is. We are to teach them what sin is. We are to teach them what love is. And you know, we model this in our home. When our kids mess up, they don't stop becoming our kids. You know, there are a lot of Christians who have this confusion today. They, they place their faith and trust in Christ, and they're, they're not grown believers. They go out and make a mistake. And there's some, some churches, some theologies that believe that unless you basically live a fully repentant life, there's no way you're a believer. I want to tell you something from somebody that lived in the hog pen for years of my life. That is not true. If you would have looked at my life when I was a teenager or in my early 20s, you would have said, there is no way that man is a believer. I want to tell you something. I was a believer. I just didn't live it. I wasn't discipled. I didn't grow up like that. I didn't have a clue. I didn't, couldn't even tell you what the word repentance mean, meant. But I can tell you one thing. I trusted Christ as my Savior. And every time I got in the hog pen, Almighty God let me know that that's not where I should have been. And we are going to have children that are going to get in the hog pen. But our responsibility as a parent is to teach that child that even when they're in the hog pen, that we love them. Did you hear me? We love them. We don't love what they're doing. We're not going to celebrate what they're doing. We're not going to endorse what they're doing. We're not going to pay for what they're doing. But I want to tell you something. We'll take it to our dying day that we love them unconditionally and they will always, always be our child. Now, I'm going to get personal this morning, okay? Somebody asked me a question one time. They said, you know, I've got family. I've, I've got a family, a child and they have turned to a same-sex relationship, and they're wanting to go do this and do that. Well, what do I do with that? This is what I told them. I said, this is what you do with that. You love your child. You love your child. You make it clear with your child that you, you don't agree with some of the things that they do and choices they make, but don't you dare let them walk away from your family knowing that you don't love them with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you not think that there are some same-sex people who are believers this morning? You, do you not think that they are? Well, if, if you think that, if you think that there are not people who are same-sex that are not Christians, then you need to do some research because I have met several that have come out of it and said, I was a believer. I want you to know something. I was a believer. And that's what happened to me. I came out of it. And let me, let me remind you this morning, there are some that are still in that. My point is this, though. We are to instill confidence in our children that they belong in our family. The second thing is we are to build character in them. We are to teach them to have a moral compass in life. And hopefully they understand what values are, how to make decisions of integrity, 
being informed by an understanding of right and wrong. Now, so when we teach our children what is right and wrong, why do we say it's right and wrong? We say it's right and wrong because this is the source of truth, folks. Could you imagine what life would be like without the Ten Commandments? Can you imagine? We, we have the Word of God where we can take our finger and put on the text and show our children what is right and what is wrong. And we live and die by the truthfulness of this Word. And you know, I think it's time that Christians in America understand what this means to us. I think we, we've left it shelved way too long. And for a lot of people, they don't even know what it says. They only know what they've been told. I think it's time we dig into it and figure out how to figure out on our own what that thing says. That is God speaking to us. Did you know that? And we should love it. We should instill that in our children. Number three, convictions. Shape convictions in our children. Help ground our kids in biblical truth, which impacts how they think and what they do. And so this is a huge part of their life and a huge part of a parent is helping our children understand what is the difference between convictions and character. And you remember the chart I gave you last week about things to die for, things to divide over, things to decide, to debate, to discuss. We, we as parents have to help our children navigate through this in life. And by the way, folks, this is complex. This is not something you're just going to sit down and preach a sermon to them and life is going to just fill its way in. Everything in life, we're going to have to walk our kids through decisions, dealing with people, how to relate to this, how to, how to deal with this conflict in their life, how to respond to this. And by the way, as culture changes and as time changes, you're talking about parenting getting hard. I mean, think about the social media that your child has. Think about when they reach the stage in life where they have to have a phone. And i got news for you as a parent. If you think that your dear little child won't sneak around and get a social media account or look at things they shouldn't or do things, I've got a newsflash for you. You are in a fog. Because they're just like their mommy and daddy. They're curious. But what do you do with all these relationships on TikTok and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all this drama that goes on in their life and school? Listen to me. When I was in high school, you could get away from it. You can't now. There's no escape. Total bombardment from the moment you wake up in the morning. There's that phone with 80 notifications and 75 text messages on it from some kid that snuck their phone to bed last night or their parent didn't even care and played on their phone all night. So let me tell you something, Mom and Dad. You take that phone and you plug it in downstairs in your house, in your room, or beside your bed. You put parental controls on. But what are we doing? We're teaching our children convictions. There are certain things that are right and wrong. And you should have the conviction that when you violate your mom and dad's trust, that's wrong. Number four, emphasize compassion. I have to put my love on now. We teach our children to love. Look at that statement. We have to make sure that our kids are secure enough to focus on others and their needs. Do you know why perhaps we have a generation of selfishness? And I shared this with the earlier group this morning. In counseling, they teach us when we are talking to people, if somebody would come in and say, well, you know, they're, 
they are so unloving. You know, as a counselor, I'm going to give you a little bit. I'm not a professional counselor. I just learned a little bit. They, they give you clues to find what we would call in biblical counseling the root issue. In psychology, it would be called something else, but I'm going to refer to it as the root issue. There's something in the heart of a person that makes them produce certain types of actions. One of the actions may be unloving. What causes a person to be unloving? Well, number one, they have no security about who they are. And when a person is insecure in who they are, they cannot show someone else attention or affection. They may not appear insecure. They may appear domineering, bossy, you know, controlling. And, but, but when that happens, you'll know that deep down in the heart of that person, they don't even know themselves. And they may not even know why they act the way they do. They, they won't demonstrate love. They won't show love. But as a parent, one of our responsibilities is to teach our children compassion. And then finally, to ensure competence. Now, I'm going to apply all five of these in just a moment, so I'm kind of hurrying through them. But what do we mean by ensuring competence? Well, it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that our kids are able to function and thrive in society. This means that we teach them that God gave them a talent, God gave them a gift, and we have to help them find that gift, whatever they're good at, whatever they're bent toward. And we have to help them pursue that as a parent. By the way, you know the famous proverb, Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. A lot of Hebrew scholars believe that that phrase that's translated in English, in the way he will go, it's actually a Hebrew word that means in his bent. Train up a child in the direction he is shaped and bent. And when he is old, he'll have a job. And he'll have something to do. Now, that's one interpretation of Proverbs 22, 6. It's a little different than what we sometimes hear. We sometimes hear, you know, teach them what's right and wrong, and when they're old, they'll always come back to it. Well, that's not a promise, by the way. And there are places in Proverbs that talk about teaching a child a craft or a person that's good at a skill. And guess what? They'll be doing it before kings. So there's some justification there. But the point is, we as parents have to help our children find that bent. Can I make a confession to you this morning? I am amazed when God gives you different children and multiple children, how every one of them can grow up in the same house, hear and see the same thing, and yet be completely different. Some similarities, praise God for that, but absolutely total, totally different. And, you know, it really affirms as a parent that they do belong to God because, you know, we have to teach them to love God and to try to walk with God, it's not always going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. Your child is a sinner. And when they sin as a parent, look at them and realize exactly where it comes from. That's the scariest thing in the world is look at your child when they sin and realize that's their daddy. Of course, if you're really good, you always blame it on the mom. But anyway, we realize where that comes from. But when you think about this, we help our children understand that they have a purpose in life. And we help them find the goal or the gifts or whatever it is and help them pursue that. And, you know, I'm sure we could add 20 more things through here. You know, we were around our kitchen table. My kids, if you read our faith life 
group. By the way, we've been posting stuff on there, trying to start some conversations, trying to get you off faith, Facebook and get you into faith book, faith life. We can start some great discussions. Nobody can see us, you know. And uh, Anyway, I think it would be really good for our church. But here are five things and many more, right? Okay, so what are some things that we can do as parents now or as adults, grandparents, good neighbors? Uh, many, many more. I, I had, to, had to limit it to five lest I had you here all day. But we'll go over this more. What are some things we can do as parents to help our children understand how to build these five C's in their life. When I get down to number three, I'm going to apply all of those five C's under encouragement, okay? But just hear me for just a second. The first thing we need to do is embrace our role as a parent. When we have a child, God didn't make us to become their friend. He made us to become their parent. Now, by the way, parenting does change roles the later and the the older your child gets. You know, hopefully you as a parent don't teach, tra- treat your child at five like you will at 25. You, pe- some people say that, you know, when your child reaches a teenage year, you need to stop corporate discipline because that is shaming and demeaning on them. Hopefully you have instilled character in them by that time in the life where uh, verbal commands or verbal talking will do more than what corporal discipline did. And by the way, I've left discipline out of here, which is a huge issue, but I'd have got off on that all alone. Discipline takes many different forms. But as parents, I think the the one thing is we have to understand that we have a role as a parent. What does that mean? That means that you have to understand you are the main influence in your child's life. They are going to watch us and they're going to mimic us. God gives children to, for us to teach them to know who He is and what He does. As the psalm says, one generation shall teach the next. And you know, becoming a parent or a guardian is more than meeting your need. It's actually helping your child find God's purpose for them in life. Did you hear me? One of the dangers of preaching long is that people start cooking chicken. Their mind wanders. I don't want you to miss this. Your role as a parent is to understand that you influence them and it's your responsibility to help your child find God's purpose for them in life. That is hard. You know what I'm discovering? Is that that is very difficult. I don't think it's absolutely set in stone. I think it could vary. I think there are choices. There could be multiple purposes. You know, but we teach our children what? Your main goal in life is to glorify God even if you collect trash. And please don't demean the trash, the garbage man. Because if not, your house would be full of garbage. You better be thankful for him. Don't demean him. Thank God we have a garbage collector. So everybody has a role to play in life. But you have to embrace your roles up here. Number two, demonstrate ongoing affection. You know, when your children are young, give them affection and love. I, I call it hugs and kisses. And I, I especially think this is so important for the dad. Dads, 
Hug and love on your children. You do not understand what this does in their life. And, I, you know, and then they get older in life, right? And you go up and go to hug on them. What do they do? Come on, Dad. I mean, you know. What do you do? You hug and kiss on them anyway. And poor Josh, we were dropping him off at Liberty and, you know, had to give him a hug and I, real, real quick, you know. Can't help it. Then I left and cried like a baby. Cried like a baby. It's amazing how periods in life just, just roll over you, isn't it? But as a parent, we have to demonstrate ongoing affection. We're not always perfect at this, are we? But you know the consequence and the price for not showing our children physical affection is, is catastrophic. Do you know that some researchers say that if a, if a parent, a father and a mother together do not embrace their child and hug them and show them physical affection, that when that child gets into a relationship, they are not able to express themselves emotionally? I mean, think about this. This makes perfect sense. If a father does not love his child, then that child, he doesn't see that demonstrated from the most powerful force in his life. And so when he enters into a relationship, what does he do? He shows the same thing, and it passes from one person to the other. I gave this very personal illustration this morning, but you know this was true in my life. My grandfather was the World War II generation, fought in World War II, all five major battle stars, was probably never loved by his father. He grew up very rough. And you go to hug Papa, you know, you'd, Papa, give me a hug, Papa, and try to kiss him. He'd go, oh, check the oil in the car there. Look, we care about you. Honestly, he loved us to death, but, you know, to get you like this and to hug you and give you a kiss on the side of the jaw and tell you, I love you, son, love you, grandson. I saw my dad hugging, but, you know, he was still, just didn't know what to do. My, my dad was a product of that, but my dad broke through that barrier because somebody has to break the chain, right? And so my dad would, you know, started off like this, and then when we grew up, and I, I told this story earlier, so I'll share it with you. One of the best moments of my life is now the hardest was my dad's dying day. I can remember he was on his bed, his, his deathbed. He got enough strength up to roll over and ask me and my brother to come over and sit down beside him. And we went over and both of us sat down and he got his arms up high enough. He couldn't breathe. Got his arms up high enough to put on top of our head, shoulder. And he said, you boys don't have any idea how much it means to me that you're here with me. You have no clue. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the power of those words. But I want to tell you something. Wow. My father's affection even in his death. Something I'll never forget. I'll carry it into eternity with me. His affection. But we have this responsibility. Number three, continually share encouraging words. You know, children never outgrow encouragement. Did you know that? You know why they never outgrow it? Because their parents never outgrow it. Ladies, listen to me this morning. You want to have a husband who loves you? You want to have a husband who affirms you? You better build him up. Because if you don't build him up with encouragement and tell him why you love him and why you're thankful for him. And I'm not talking about once a year. I'm talking about frequently. Tell him what you're thankful for in his life. It'll change your world. And by the way, that will help him be able to tell the children what he's thankful for. 
but children never outgrow it because adults don't. Parents have the ability to shape the child's life with encouragement. And I want you to know it's powerful. Why do parents stop encouraging their children? Are you, are you ready for this? One of the main reasons is because they don't get encouragement back. I hope I put this down on your sheet. Here's a key. Don't expect encouragement back and you won't be disappointed when you give it. If you as a parent think that your child's going to encourage you for encouraging them, wake up and go back to point number one. Your role as a parent is not to be thanked. And let me assure you of something. This is true in my life. I speak this with as much transparency as I can. I was never truly thankful for my father until he died. Now, I loved him, told him I loved him, hugged him, but I want you to hear me for for a minute. The absence of my father in my life rocked my world. And that's when I went back and reviewed, you know, how much he meant and how much his encouraging words meant in my life. And that's why I say to this to you as a parent, and I, you know, I'm, I'm pouring it out here. Do everything that you can in your parental married life to have an encouraging life in this discouraging world. Be an encourager as a parent and don't expect it back. Now let's go back to the five C's. Can I? And I want to show you third, the third point there. Continually share encouraging words. What does this look like when, when we share encouraging words and we want to build confidence, character, convictions, compassion, and competence in someone's life? Here, I'm just putting it right down where the rubber hits the road. Just imagine that you're wanting to instill confidence in your child. And one day you were out in the yard as a dad and you, you get them up on the roof because you're repairing the roof and your child's scared to death of heights. You get over on the ladder and you get them up the ladder and you tell them that the roof's not going to cave in or whatever and they get up there. And when they finally get up on the top and they stand there for the first time and they're looking around, you know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on Dad to tell them he's proud of them. And if you want to build confidence in your child, that's when you look at them and you say, I'm going to tell you something. I'm proud of you, son. You are a brave young man. You overcame your fear. You know what that does in a, in a child's life? I mean, that stokes their confidence. My father didn't have a clue about this, but he did it. He did it. I was, I was terrified of heights. We had a 12-12 pitch roof, if you don't know what that means. Every 12 inches, it goes up 12 inches. Steep. We had to get up on top of it. I was scared to death to get up there because when you look over the edge of our house, it's way down there. And You know, I, I wasn't worried about the fall. I was worried about that hit at the bottom. Scared to death. My dad talked me up to the eve, the pitch of the roof by going, you can do it, son. You can do it. Keep going. Proud of you. I finally got up there and he wanted me to nail that top row in. Boy, I'll tell you, I never forgot that. Scared to death. but So thankful. Building confidence. What about character? You know, this comes in amazing ways. I am so proud of the way that you just handled your little sister. You know, she pulled your toy away from you and you did not jerk it back or show... You know what, honey? You are showing her love 
Thank you for doing that. What about conviction? You know, maybe your child comes home and tells you somebody made fun of them for being a Christian. What do you do with that? Do you just go, oh, well, you probably just shouldn't say anything about it. No! If you want to build conviction in your child, you tell them, listen, I am so proud of you. You were not ashamed of Jesus. And you didn't deny Him. And by the way, they'll see a difference in your life. Encourage them with words. You can build conviction like that. And what about competence? Every time you see progress in their life, let them know it. Let them know it. You know, don't, don't be a negative Ned parent. Be a, be a compassionate, complimenting parent who gives encouraging words. By the way, folks, we need encouragement today. Did you know that? We are bombarded with negativity. And God's people are to be different. And you know, listen to me. It's time as the church, we move on. We've got a message to tell. Did you know that? We've got lives to live. Nobody can control this in our life. We've got to move on. And the power of encouragement is so important. And I want to encourage you to do that. Teach responsibility, number four. Responsibility must be taught and modeled. And here's what we teach our children, and you should write this down. Actions have consequences. This is part of living in a fallen world. Listen to God as He told Adam and Eve, Do not eat of that tree, for in the day you eat, you shall die. Action, consequence. Abraham, don't do this. Action, consequence. We teach our children what? Action, consequence. And I want to tell you something as a parent. You cannot teach your child responsibility by rewarding or embracing bad behavior. That's called being a softy. That's called having a spine like a banana. You can't do that as a parent. The hardest thing about parenting, especially younger children, key word here is consistency. It is so hard to be consistent. Especially when you have like two or three running around and you're two or three in the crib. I, I saw my wife live through this. Not, I'm not making her the illustration here, but she was a great mom. But I can remember her saying, I, I was so tired, it was so hard to get up and just be consistent. But it's something she modeled in, in her life. I was so thankful for that. But that word just rings in my ears. Cons with responsibility come, become, comes consistency. Teach your children that actions have consequences. How do you know if your child is irresponsible? How do you know if your child is irresponsible? Or even the person you work with. Write down A, B, C. Here it goes. A, they're apathetic. What does apathetic mean? Oh, whatever, I don't care. Just, just apathetic. Apathy is a sign of irresponsibility. B, blame. Well, it wasn't my fault, you know, such and such, or, whatever. or it's always somebody else's fault. If you have apathy and you have blame, there's big indicators that you are an irresponsible person. And C, because we had to have a C, care for self or selfish. Only think about themselves. That is irresponsibility. So when you see these characteristics in your child or 
somebody in their life, you can know that the root is irresponsibility. That's, that's the issue. So we have to teach these in our home. But proper response to consequences builds self-esteem in your child. When you carry through on a, a consequence, it t- teaches the child that their behavior has teeth. It has consequences. And they learn, listen here, they learn that they have the power to control what happens. So important. How do you teach your child responsibility? You carry through on the actions that have consequences and the child understands, you know what, if I don't do that, that doesn't happen. But if I do that, this is going to happen. You know what? I can choose not to do that. You know what, this is true in our adult life too, isn't it? Actions have consequences. When we have to be somewhere on time, what should we do? Get up and leave early. Because if you speed in the state of Virginia, you are going to meet a police officer and get a ticket. But if, if we had left a few minutes early, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have stress in our life. And we also wouldn't communicate to other people that we're more important to them because we're late. Now, sometimes we're just late because... Okay, but, you know, as a parent, when we teach our child responsibility, if we drag them into church, well, I'm going to get in trouble here. I'm just glad you're coming this morning, okay? So I'm not jumping on you, but I'm, I'm trying to tell you something. If we drag our children into church 10 minutes late, what does that tell our children? What, what does it tell them? I'm, I'm just asking. I mean, now please don't think I'm beating you up. Please, please don't. When we... Tell our kids we're going to go meet somebody and meet them at 10 and we don't show up till 10, 20 and the other parents are going, oh, I'd like to kill them. I've sat here for 20 minutes holding my child, a Chuck E. Cheese, sitting in the parking lot with a screaming kid. They were 20 minutes late because they were painting their fingernails. I'm serious here. What, what does it teach our children? Well, it doesn't matter when we get where we are. I mean, just you know, whatever, mom. We just get there whenever. That doesn't teach them responsibility. So we have to model that in their life. And then finally, and here's the big one, okay? The big one. You listen? Make home a place of peace. Peace. Everybody want peace? Peace. Why peace? Because kids are in combat all day long. Especially when they get older. Man, alive when, you, when they get these phones and this... I'm telling you. See, hear me carefully. My generation is the first generation that had to raise children in this social media telephone age. So a lot of your first-gen parents here living through this smartphone. Kids cannot disconnect. They live in turmoil all the time. Please make home a peaceful place. They may have painful battles with bullies, pressure, conformity made fun of about the way they're made, their body image or whatever. And all this is going on behind the scenes. And listen, Mom and Dad, they'll never tell you this. But it's eating away at them. People are making fun of them, talking about them. This world we live in is cruel. And while this is gnawing at them, if you show them that you love them and you build these things in their life, you teach them responsibility, you do this and you make your home a place of peace, your house becomes a refuge for them. A refuge where they can come to and be loved 
be accepted, be welcomed, and I encourage you with all my heart, make your, make your home a place of peace. In your Christian life, strive not to argue with your spouse in front of your children. Strive not to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not going to disagree. Everybody has disagreements. I'm just trying to say, realize that when you communicate, do it in a way that's peaceful, even when you disagree. If kids know they can come home to a house that's safe, it helps them withstand pressures in life, stresses in life, comparisons in life, put-downs in life, and temptations that they may have. What is a peaceful home? It's a home where there's not a lot of yelling at each other. Where there are boundaries, but a lot less rules. Where parents are welcoming to friends. Where parents are generous with encouraging words and affection. Where marriage is healthy. Where they're free from comparison with others. Where they can be themselves and don't have to pretend. By the way, the worst thing we can ever do as a parent is compare them to their sibling. Why aren't you like such and such? I wish you were like such. Hard on self-esteem. Don't do that. Don't do that. And if you do do it, if you do do it as a parent, hear me. As soon as you catch yourself going, I wish you were. Stop yourself and go. Get down on your knees and apologize to your child and ask them to forgive you. By the way, that was a big one here I wanted to put in. Teach your child how to apologize. You know, you ever, if you've ever worked with adults that don't know how to apologize, it gets passed right onto the kids. You, do you realize that some parents, some adults don't even know how to apologize? There are five ways, and it's not just saying I'm sorry. But you teach your child how to apologize, how to interact. It'll help them. It'll make, it'll make for a peaceful home. To provide a peaceful home, you have to first experience what? Peace yourself. You can't have a peaceful home without being at peace yourself. How, how do you become at peace yourself as an adult? Well, first of all, you have to know the Lord God and you have to know Him through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, His Spirit comes and lives inside of your heart and life. And what God wants us to do is allow Him to live in and through us. We call that in Christianity yielding or surrendering. Letting God's power work through us. And so, hear me for a minute. When you're about to lose it with a, with a spouse or a child, what do we do? We stop and say, oh, you know, in our mind, Lord, I need you. Let your power work through me right now and help me respond the way that you would respond because I want to honor you. And I think if we do that in our life, I think that'll make a, Life-changing difference. So focusing on these values and being intentional to build them in our children and our life, I think it will equip, equip them to glorify God and bring change to our world. He'll do it. By the way, John, he was a great kid through the whole service, wasn't he? <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for the challenge and Lord, for the privilege of being a parent. I pray for all of our parents, Lord, our new parents, the miracle babies. Give these parents wisdom to raise their children. For those of us with teenagers and grown kids, some off, help us, Lord, to be on our knees, to be good models, to be consistent. 
and to have these things in our life and in their life, especially, Lord, the peaceful home, a place of shelter, the Father's house where our kids can come to, be themselves and know they're loved, they're embraced because that's how you treat us. And we're thankful for that. And it's all made possible because of the person and the work of our great Savior and the one who we give all glory this morning for all that's done, Jesus Christ. We praise Him, we lift Him up, and we ask for Your power, the Holy Spirit's power in our life to carry out these things, even beginning today, that we might be intentional parents. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.